Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right, we're recording. Good to see you. You're back. Likewise, Jason. Absolutely. It's good to talk to you. Um... I want to let me. I want to share something with you. This is super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before you start, so I was, I was, um, uh, I was impressed by your AI cut up experiment in source right. magic of working with transcription. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it does. It, I, I had vaguely had some sim- similar unformed thoughts in that direction, and I was like, yeah, this is amazing that you've also um, uh, pegged onto that. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to share this. So uh, related. Uh, a couple days ago, I trained an AI on the Book of the Law, mm. and I had it write a new one. All right, <laughs> would you like, or at least a few passages? They're, they're yeah. disjointed. It's it's kind of freaking eerie, though. Would you you, you want to hear it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, this is in no order. I kind because I kind of cut it up and cut and pasted it as well. Here we go. Know ye now reasonings too subtle for sense? All wisdom's math, either far or hid. Come, strong drunkenness of incense, bruised flesh of sacrifice. Then the die is cast. Then the gods' laughters are flung abroad. Then we ride on the shoulders of death. Ah, ah, death. In their throats they cry with lust and rapture. Death. Feel this knife in your flanks. It pierces to divide the spine. Hold, hold hard upon this pearl. Then I am yours and you are mine. Nuit's fillet twined with gold is light on thy brows. This next one made me think of a lot of passages in your book. Mm-hmm. Let each man worship every other whom he will, but only himself truly, however mad that worship seemeth. With truth, nevertheless, you others beware, lest any force another worshiper to abandon his own proper creed, even though that creed be false. Indeed, only error needs support from outside itself, being not until supported by pressure from without. <laughs> well, that's the proverbial fourth chapter right there. There, there. there you go, right? There's it gets it gets even better. Let's see. Um yeah, there's some interesting wisdom coming out of this uh oh, oh this okay, then it started to go a little bit off the rails. So I, I love this one. 
There are four gates to one. It starts with a, a, an existing passage. There are four gates to one palace. The floor of that palace is of silver and gold. Lapis lazuli and jasper are there and all rare scents, jasmine and rose and the emblems of mortality, silver vessels, golden goblets full of wine coolers, chilled with iced sherbets, flute music. <laughs> Wherefore delay? Their girlfriends await thee. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> they they warm their they warm their slim bodies at a secret fire till thou comest. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> it's pretty good. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it is it is um really something in itself. And it's uh, been given so much attention both text-wise and also the art, you know, where it makes this art and um I I'm a little bit undecided what what I, you know, what I think. Or what my feelings are towards this. It's it's just um I always get suspicious when things come on so strongly and so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, of course it's been brewing in the background, but but when it's sort of uh, gets this kind of attention, it's usually because someone has opened the faucet in a way. Mm-hmm. And and I think that um it is uh, it, terrifying in many ways. Absolutely. Because it's simply so good, you know, <laughs> it's it's simply so close to human expression. That for for most people who don't have a discerning, you know, critical intellectual mind, they would they would just accept it, right? It's, it's you know, getting this to is that a cool level. picture, yeah. or 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 this is a book that I can read that reminds me of something else, you know, uh, and it's actually just uh, uh, algorithmical poetry in a way, right? It's 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 scary. Yeah, I, I I don't know if we talked about this. I actually worked with Google on their artisan machine intelligence program on AI, and yeah, it's um, the the implications are uh, pretty scary. Although I don't think they're like Terminator scary. They're more like what right. you're saying. It's like the the whole fabric of reality is going to uh, mm-hmm. be uh, um, tipped in the direction of AI. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided how I felt about it a long time ago, which is I probably don't have a choice. It's either I mass, I learn to use it or don't. And, mm-hmm. and so I've, I'm all about it, whether it's yeah. good or not. I mean, unfortunately, I think the cat's out of the bag. Well, yeah. fortunately, because no, I, I find it, it's it out of the bag. Yeah. And then the thing is that uh, it's almost like one of my cliches and not only mine, but this thing, you know, where haven't they ever watched science fiction? <laughs> no, because most of the, you know, post- World War II science has been created by kids growing up with pulp fiction, you know, pulp science fiction, pulp uh, noir stories, pulp whatevers. And all of these seed come from these weird, fantastical sci-fi stories. And it always ends badly, right? And then these people grow up and they become scientists and they build these things, knowing at the back of their mind, hmm, all of these stories didn't end so well, did they? (laughs) And the same thing with... with, um, with AI, I think, yeah. uh, specifically from, I guess, the most famous example would be HAL in 2001, you know, the computer on the ship, um, uh, which basically just takes over and says, <laughs> you're no longer running the show. Yeah, And I could see those things happening very much so, because um, it's one thing if you have a weird, like a computer voice, or you have some uh, green data text <laughs> on a black screen, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But, but now it's like, in our voices, in our aesthetics, uh, there's no real. It's a very fine line between how much we can we can analyze them, whereas they seem to be analyzing us beautifully. Yes, you know, 
so yes. so so um, I think the cat's out of the bag, and the weight seems to be going uh, in their favor. There, I don't know who they are, <laughs> but you know, right. in the favor of AI, basically. Well, and, a- and- AI is is um, in theory open for the public to use. I mean, but also not because you know the most powerful ais are controlled by big corporations like google exactly but exactly. You, you made and a, i found that mm-hmm. so, so interesting also when i did this little experiment with a software that i won't name however it's great you know i use it a lot in terms of audio transcriptions mm-hmm. I do um, that too. and it's, it's sort of uh it's it's pretty accurate um however when i read these transcripts and most of them were from they're from old films so the sound quality isn't really that good so that must have fucked up some some things you know however there were these corporate names that came into the thing yeah Yeah, and i that i can't explain there must be something in the code somehow uh, either ownership or or related ownership something it was just too weird Mm. because it's definitely not in the audio it just must you be know, more used to seeing those words for yeah. yeah 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 or maybe yeah exactly maybe it interprets it at as if it were that word you made I a great know. you made a great point in this book that really struck me which was uh, in I should show it source magic your new book yeah. which is great um, <laughs> out now uh, source magic the art of or excuse me the origin of art science and culture um, you made a great point in here that science fiction has created more science than data mining or uh, data statistical analysis. It's like, yeah, I had never thought of that before, but that's completely on point. And this is kind mm-hmm. of speaking magically. I mean, this is the point I made to Google, whether they listened to me or not. They highly doubtful they did, but um, uh, maybe, maybe not. I just had the the head of the the program back on the podcast, um, and he also sees this very magically. The point I made to them is. You know, there are severe risks with AI. There are theoretically existential risks, but more pressingly, there are massive risks of unbelievable social stratification. And I kind of told them, look, the problem isn't AI. The problem is the stories that the people who are building it are telling themselves about it. And I don't even mean like the story you market it with to the public to like make them like it. I mean, the stories the people are building it are telling themselves internally, which are largely taken from really negative apocalyptic science fiction or, mm-hmm. and then ultimately I made the point to them. It's like, look, you're, you're fundamental. If you're worried about fundamental cultural biases, you're, you don't program Judeo-Christian ethics into the thing, make it use Buddhist ethics, make it a, yeah. a, a Bodhisattva. Don't make it vengeful Jehovah. Cause you will, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, no, absolutely. And I think also it's very interesting how it sort of snuck into, if we stick with social media as a a world or sphere, um, it came in via the most base vanity in a way, you know, how do I look? You know, so you have these filters and they're, they're soft, softening, they're funny, can add these little pet things, it's all fun, you know, this is how I want to present myself. It's never something that increases the wrinkles or gives you a bad light uh, or or anything like that. So of course people like, oh, it's yeah, it's a filter that makes me look good. And I think I can see that happening with with the textual stuff too, in, in the sense that um, have an have a chatbot make write your CV, you know, mm-hmm. have a chatbot your resume, your presentation on social media, and it will all end up with some kind of super bland, non-descriptive. Um, I don't know, um, fake presentations of yeah. who you really are. And uh, of course, one among 
a gazillion others so that it's so bland that that you can you can't really see uh, personal qualities or traits anymore yeah i, I mean, mean it, it's like it's like a dystopic interpretation but i think that i don't think that's dystopic i think that is a, i mean we could lose literacy potentially i think that um we, well we already are but i think that um like for just a, like a really blatant example of this imagine uh, student essays in high school and college yes. like is anyone ever gonna write an essay ever again maybe not mm-hmm. and yeah. uh when, uh, there was yeah. a piece about that in new york times just the other day about how certain colleges and i think uh high schools also are addressing this problem not knowing whether they should like you know give in and accept it or whether they should just ban like all technology in the classrooms it's um well, uh, unless you sit there with a ruler in hand watching people write with a pencil i mean i don't know yeah. how you do that yeah <laughs> which maybe I think they should are gone right no, i think they are um yeah well i just finished your book and i have a lot of thoughts um i have to uh, uh, be honest, the, the chapters about Jen were so emotionally overwhelming for me that it's hard to, it was kind of hard to think clearly about the rest of the book, which is excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I realized in reading this, I mean, I, I feel like very on the same page with you and it's like Jen died right when COVID hit and I never processed it because I immediately had to go into survival mode, fixing, getting out yeah, of the pandemic, yeah. moving, experiencing all kinds of other tremendous loss in my life. And it's the mm-hmm. dust has just been settling for the last year. So I feel like there's two conversations we can have here. And uh, I'd like to have them both if you're open to it, uh, potentially mm-hmm. in two different podcasts. One is yeah. a conversation about Jen. And one is a conversation about source magic and magical anthropology and your ideas in the book. And I feel like those conversations deserve their own breathing. Mm-hmm. Room. So if maybe if you're open to it, if not, that's fine. We can have one of those conversations today. And then maybe in two weeks we can have the second one. And then you get two, you know you get two chances to plug great. your book. You get two chances to yeah. plug your book. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. But that's not the, the issue, even though that's great too. But, but I agree. I mean, because we, we share that, um, uh, uh, time and space and those memories and and uh, so that's absolutely I think fodder for a full okay. full conversation and then uh, source magic is an anthology so it's like uh, all over the place in a way but I, I did think it it worked out well as some kind of um, homogenous creature but as you say you know without Jen that's a thing in itself it's like magic anthropology and there's literary stuff and film stuff and and uh, so I don't know I think it sounds like a great idea great. I leave it up okay. to you sound no that I would love that. And, and I want to, I definitely want to spend time on the second podcast talking about the idea of source magic and magical anthropology, because mm-hmm. there's some great points raised in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, but are you up to talk about Jen today then? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'm not sure where to start, to be honest with you. And I have to, I have to warn you, I'm a little sleep deprived and I'm already a bit emotionally raw because I yeah. spent, I did a podcast yesterday with uh, Antro Ali, who you may know. Yes. He, yes. he is dying of um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and he, oh. he re- decided to refuse treatment. So we mm-hmm. had a podcast about that yesterday. So mm-hmm. he probably is uh, that hopefully that goes well for him. He's very non mm-hmm. uh, nonplussed about it actually he's very matter of fact about it but it was still it, it the, the conversation it was was still intense and hit me afterwards so we'll see how how long i can keep it together if we start talking about this but uh, just yeah. Fair warning. yeah 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 
Mm-hmm. I don't know where to start. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I can, I can, I can uh, cue the conversation because it's uh, also. I mean, this book now it just came out, uh, and I'm working on the next one, uh, which I think I'll wrap up sometime in in, in March, and that's something that contains uh, very personal stuff hmm. uh, because it's basically. I don't know. I'm a bit skeptic towards you know using the autobiography, but it's basically my story of what I've experienced since I began uh, working with magic. And it's been a long, you know, bumpy road. I met lots of interesting people, but of course, Jen is there as the kind of uh, spine or the red thread. And and so I've actually, for the first time in my life, it's like uh, massive work, gone through uh, my entire archive, mm. which has basically just been boxed, you know. Um, I think you mentioned that last time we were talking. Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, yeah. uh, I'm all, almost caught up now. But what I'm finding is stuff that I've completely forgotten, not only in uh, diaries, but also actually, you know, faxes and printed out emails and letters, you know, from from uh, 86 and onwards. Wow. And there I find things that are <clears throat> so incredibly, you know, personal um, and again, it's super emotional to think about it because it's not the uh, macro perspective. We say that we made a record or yeah. we did Topi or we did whatever, but it was more like on this super personal level and you could see... Um, the the human issues or the humane issues uh, underneath the surface. So that's been very very interesting, uh, and it has only strengthened my uh, um, love and admiration for Jan, uh, one of the few really sincere yeah. uh, magicians and and people in general that 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 I've met, you know, and um, that uh, taught me a lot of things in terms of how one should you know be in life and you know a good good approach, good attitude. Um, and there's something, you know, uh, vaguely or not, yeah, I was going to say vaguely hippie-ish. There, there's some kind of ethos there that is very um, <clears throat> With altruistic or spiritual in a way. But at the same time, there's also real pragmatic uh, material magic. And it's just, Jen was a super magician, master Absolutely. magician yeah. in so, so yeah. many ways. Yeah. And, and I think um, that for me has been interesting now to really, you know, go you know, under the surface and look at these things. And I will weave in a lot of those things in, in this book, which will be in the coming book that will be much more uh, personal in a way. Whereas the texts in, in um, uh, source magic, they're also personal. The first one is basically me uh, crying in text uh, right after uh, Jenna died and the Brooklyn rail wanted me to write this sort of memento piece. And the other one was when I made um, a photo book with all of the good pictures that I, that I've uh, taken over the decades. And I wrote this piece about uh, the shape shifting, the, the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The psychic anarcho sartorialism, uh, (laughs) how Jen shaped the, uh, exterior to reflect the interior, but also the other way around, you know, how that affected uh, the interior, um, by manipulating the outer. There's a lot of magic there that I, you know, being, um, uh, conservative kind of regular Joe kind of guy never experimented with uh, at all or yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, whereas for Jan, it was completely, uh, completely, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, meat and potatoes kind of attitude that you just, uh, well, now it's time to change into this preposterous look. You know? Yeah, Jen, but, but, Jen embodied all these things in a way that most yeah. people don't. I mean, Jen, and and you you mentioned that in these essays where it was it was. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you were you were kind of saying that 
you know, generally showed that you can't just think about these things. You have to kind of doggedly and ruthlessly manifest them into the world. And Mm -hmm. that, uh, I think that's true, whether that's Mm -hmm. the way Jen did it or a different, a different method, you're, you're a different formula you're applying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jen was, was in, you know, Jen, I mean, Jen was like God to me, mm. you know, beyond a magician or something like that. And mm-hmm. so my, my feelings about Jen are like, um, a, a cluster of every emotion possible. And mm-hmm. it's like a relation of, of a parent who has passed. So, uh, I haven't really, although I mentioned Jen practically on every podcast, it's like, I haven't really processed it. And I, uh, um, I also tried to kind of stay quiet in the couple of years after Jen passed Mm -hmm. because I have a sense of, you know, when someone of that status passes, unfortunately, a lot of people kind of come out of the woodwork and try to claim this or that Mm -hmm. or, or make it about them, which mm-hmm. it isn't. And, and, and I, uh, so I've stayed pretty, I've tried to keep my head down and keep out of that. And, uh, that was something I experienced when Adam Parfrey died. Um, I did a yeah. podcast like the next week with someone who had been working on his biography and his sister got really angry and actually said, don't put this podcast out. She was just mm-hmm. reacting emotionally, but mm-hmm. she was saying, um, you know, it's like they're, they're, they were very sensitive to kind of, uh, uh, that type of thing. And luckily that mm. went well because it was not, it was sincere, but anyways, that's, I, that's kind of where I've been. I kind of wanted to, uh, let things, um, I didn't want to make it about me, but at the same time, mm. the, all, the, all those stories need to be told, you know, my story with Jen needs to be told, uh, yours as well. Uh, you, and you, you know, you have in many ways, Um, and it sounds like you're continuing to with this book because all of that stuff is, is, uh, um, critical. I mean, Jen was not just a master magician, but, but, you know, the connect living connection to the beats, the living connection to the Mm sixties you mentioned in this book is like basically the only person that took it seriously enough to carry it forward and, Mm -hmm. and, and militarize it basically. And that is invaluable. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's such an incredibly important person. And as you know, Jen was so, um, uh, often bitter throughout her life for not being recognized. And, and that seems to be, as you allude to changing, unfortunately, mm-hmm. posthumously, posthumously, but yeah. Right. But that's, that's such a, a classic thing though. And I think yeah. uh, every artist who was aware of art history, etc., uh, I think has that in mind that, you know, maybe it won't happen until I'm gone <laughs> and maybe that will be, you know, good, uh, for, for people, uh, you know, relatives, etc., living on. Um, however, I think that, um, the, um, this thing you say about, uh, bringing things to the fore and bringing things forward, uh, is so inspiring. And I think, um, Inspiring also for other people who are not specifically interested in what Jen brought forward, like the beats, for instance, or or a certain kind of uh, music or magic, whatever. Um, but that's that's one thing. But the other thing is that people can still respect and be inspired by the fact that Jen took the initial youthful. Um, what do you call it? Is there a plural of impetus? Impeti? Sure. I don't know. <laughs> These sparks from... Multiple imps. And, 
Yeah, and and childhood, you know, and and nurture them and culture them and value them because they made a change early on and turned you into who you are. And then just basically examine it and see, um, is it interesting enough to integrate in myself and bring forward? And Jen did that with, with a lot of things. And I think that attitude is something that I've... Uh, I'm trying to push in the texts that I'm writing that are, uh, let's call them, I don't know, philosophical, meaning they're not about an old film or anything like that. There is like, um, basically, this is an example of how we, how you can do things in your own life. And, um, you know, this thing of value in intuition, of course, uh, but also to really fetishize all those things and cultural expressions yeah. that have meant something for yeah. you along the way. Don't discard it. You know, uh, it's good to be a nerd, you know, go to your comics collection or whatever, yeah. visit those films and see, whoa, this is so cool. Allow yourself to be that, you know, um, filled with that child, childish spirit <laughs> in a way of amazement, because that's an important thing that seems to be going away as you grow older, yeah. going to adulthood. It's really nothing that can make you feel, you know, whoa, that kind of thing. That's such a great uh, point. At and least that's not how I perceive uh, our culture. Yeah. It's it's uh, designed to make you go into thinking about, you know, mortgages and the electricity crisis and the Ukraine war and all these things that are important enough. Uh, but if you want to stay alive in the sense being happy and finding meaning and, and perhaps you are a creative, uh, it's still important to cherish all the fuel that has moved your vehicle onto, you know, the the parking lot where you are right now. That's such a and great I think point. That That's such a great point, especially because a lot of people, um, you know, Jen would often point out to me, it's like, you know, every when people are in their 20s, sure, like, they may be interested in these things. And then when they hit 30, it's like a wall, and they will all mm -hmm. drop off and fall into the social conditioning, which is completely true. And uh, there's a temptation always to... And I've done it too myself. It's just like, well, it's time to grow up and leave these childish things behind. But I think that one thing that Jen, I mean, obviously Jen had this intense personal mythology as well with like Brian Jones and the Avengers and, and all this stuff that was around in, in, um, in, the, in their apartment. And in the same way, it's like, I, like, I, I think we, we've uh, yet again seem to be mirroring, mirroring each other on a certain level where I also just moved and I've been going through my archives and unpacking and mm -hmm. finding all the things from my teenage years or childhood that, that made me who I am and, and re-embracing them instead of discarding them. Like one big thing yeah. for me is, uh. Um, you may or might, may not be aware of these, the world of darkness role-playing games from the, uh, the nineties. I know what they are. I, know, I yeah. didn't, I haven't played them yet, but they're, I know. they're yeah. great. They're full of occult information. And they like, I was massively into these as a teenager. And of course, things like that, it's like, you want to hide that mm -hmm. from, but now I'm like, you know what? Like, this is great. I'm going to, I'm re-embracing yeah. this. Um, just things that, you know, it's like if it, love is, uh, hard to come by both uh, with people and, and, and otherwise. And so it's just like, why, why discard it? Mm -hmm. That's a great Absolutely. point. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that, that, uh, LaVey was very, uh, keen about. He actually wove it into his magic system, you know, did these sort of personal fetishes, whether they stem from childhood or youth, or if you find, you can find something along the way also that just turns you on so much that, that uh, it must mean something because otherwise your psychology wouldn't have that reaction mm. of amazement. So there's a deep 
seated resonance there. Uh, and as you say, you know, Jan had these things mainly from the 60s because that was like the formative days. Uh, we all carry that. That's very important. Just like I can, you know, romanticize and fetishize like early industrial culture yeah, days. Yeah. You know, yeah, that was yeah, my teenage right. year. And, and, and just the way how, how, how we uh, function. But I think uh, Jan was also very much... Uh, Again, the name of uh, the documentary, you know, change itself. Mm -hmm. The thing where you have to, um, I'm not sure I agree. One has, one has to, that's some kind of, that sounds too harsh, but Jen definitely felt that you have to go through these things where you do change. And, and some people, you know, maybe small yeah. changes enough, but for Jen, the, it was big and it yeah. had these sort of, um, uh, uh, anarcho-sartorial uh, things where the look was changed, <laughs> a new face was was mirrored, yeah. you know, by the way you, you look. And uh, I could see it happening very much. Um, uh, for instance, uh, when I fell in love with the mythos, and again, early, late Robin Grissel, early PTV stuff, that was one look, you know. But when I came into the scene uh, physically, uh, 86, um, that was the hyperdelic, you know, going to yeah. hyperdelic rock. That's super, so awesome. Yeah, that was kind of a, you so know, with God Star and stuff. Yeah. That was a segue into Acid House, even more psychedelic or hyperdelic. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing with his colored braids that he'd gotten from George Clinton and sort of incredibly psychedelic uh, clothes. And then later on, it became something else, you know, in California in the early 90s, it was uh, trying to... Uh, Transmedia. Yeah, Transmedia and, and sort of getting into like uh, the romanticism and myth of the process church and Timothy Wiley and that kind of thing. So it was a different yeah. kind of more mature I guess maybe California hippie. In a way. Yeah, in a way. And then that, yeah. but and also, then that also kind of being a being more of a, th a thinker and spokesperson. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and then of course, uh, Jackie comes into the picture, yeah. and this New York, and you get affected by that. So it's more like uh, clubbing and actual uh, strange parties, mm -hmm. dressing up, mm -hmm. and then the starting and, and to meet each other. Yeah, and, yeah, and all that the weird, too, exactly. the weird voodoo stuff, and and Jackie's yeah. background with club kids, and yeah. Yeah, I, I was and thinking so you have about all, this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have all of these uh, sort of very distinct faces yeah. that are reflected in how um, how uh, they looked, how they wanted to appear, and that, of course, is is um, something where uh, this interplay between inner and outer sort of they, they feed each other, uh, and I think that's uh, it was fuel, real fuel for Jen. This thing where you um, again, no, I don't mean it in terms of. Um, force you know you see you have to do something but there was a kind of a positive impetus of of uh, needing to change just because i guess maintaining a level of creativity and mental transcendence that comes from these changes uh, and i think that was um something that jen was uh uh, addicted to in a good way in a because, good way yeah because yeah because jen had seen that already from i guess from mid 60s you know how you change things in and on yourself affects the outer how people treat you and what you you can get what you want by doing this so that is kind of a causality to it and a lot of it is predictable you know the old conservative geezers will say oh that's just a hippie you know but uh, other people young people might say oh you're so interesting so you, right. you have this sort of uh, personal needs integrated in this also um yeah and again yeah i think 
I, I well, think Jen, it, Jen's classic phrase was, "You should never run out of people to be." Which, which, <laughs> that's which a good I one. Yeah, and and, and she would Absolutely. talk about also the uh, you know that training with the exploding galaxy in mm-hmm. in London in the in the sixties of of living in a commune where everyone was expected to create a new character every day, which seems to have yes. been the formative uh, impetus on that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you you mentioned conservative people too. It's like I remember like when the pandemic because I I we we know different gens and the same gens. Some of some gens we have in common and some we don't. And uh, that's so fascinating. It's like, like I, I, you've known Jen for longer than I have. I just realized I've, uh, this summer will be basically 20 years since I met Jen. Uh, so it's almost exactly 20 years. Uh, and it is, we are having this conversation on on 2023, of course. That's we we right. missed the that's 23rd right. by two days, but say yep. say would be. Um, <laughs> But I was the the time when I knew Jen when I was most involved was um, pan, the Pandrogeny era. Like I met Jen mm-hmm. right when that process was starting, like a little bit before, and and then I was there before the surgery, and then I was there for the, the surgery, and afterwards the, the whole New York story period. So mm-hmm. the seven years in which I was most intensively around Jen and learning, and you know, um, learning and to become. A magician it's like uh it was not just jen it was jen and jackie so mm-hmm. my time with jen was jen and jackie and then of course the uh, the jackie's death was traumatic uh mm. for everyone uh i was at the funeral uh it was unbe- it was like losing a parent um mm. and then but that was the time when i was most in which i most knew jen and i think that's probably when jen was the happiest because after that um I felt like, although I think after that, Jen started to become more like invested in the art world, mm-hmm. which is, which is great. She decided that was the best way to get the message out. But, um, mm-hmm. I felt less, uh, uh, certainly much less at home, uh, there. My, you know, the, the work that Jen and I did together was this, the psychic Bible. Mm. Um, and so it, what my interaction with Jen was about the ideas and about magic and uh it was a different and obviously it was uh jen was a different jen after jackie died so mm-hmm. but you know jen from the 80s you know so oh but one thing I, oh the reason i brought that up was because you mentioned conservative it's like i remember when the pandrogeny thing began i mean that was that like now it's like this is you know, this type of thing is in the news every day it's like then that was truly shocking it was yeah. unbelievably it was like how it, yeah. can someone possibly be this out there two people to have and, and even now i mean people to have it's not just a transgender but two people having surgery to look like each other it is the most mm-hmm. extreme possibly art uh, experiment of all human history it's mm-hmm. so out there and um and i remember like the quote-unquote conservative old guard industrial people who knew throbbing gristle just like reacting with total <laughs> disgust and horror and, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely and it was it's really funny and i think uh, exactly that aspect was very uh, clear to me um like viscerally um after jackie had died Jen was very, uh, you know, voluptuous, but yet not a big girl, so to speak. <laughs> you know, there were boobs and sort of, you know, curvy, but still kind of petite Jen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were in Paris in 2008 for a Throbbing Grizzle uh, reunion concert. 
uh, and it was kind of uh, horrendous in the sense that the atmosphere was simply so bad. The concert was okay, it was, it was good, you know, uh, but Jen was there as little English lady, you know, with big boobs. And and uh, Sleazy, of course, was very open-minded. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like the diplomat in between these fractions of, you know, uh, Jen on one side and Chris and Cozy on the other. And it was like the, the, the atmosphere was so cold that you could like, you know, oh, uh, cut it with a yeah. knife. Um, but yeah. anyway, that, that imagine, kind of yeah. <laughs> that gen, kind of gen, look yeah, yeah. Uh, of of this uh, uh, really, you know, English English little lady uh, together with these yeah. uh, hordes of you know, like industrial fans. It it's was so funny. funny in a way. It's just like yeah, just like the 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 in a, in a way that even the hyperdelic era of getting into ecstasy and peace and love. It deeply aliens like they go through the seventies with Robin Crystal where yeah. it's like we're yeah. Nazis, man. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> obviously not literally, but playing with all this like extremely yeah. dark, aggressive, uh, uh, mm-hmm. fascistic imagery, and then going into peace, love, and MDMA. Yes, so that I exactly. think also and, and lots of it. people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's fantastic, and and it's there's something um, I think in all of these things that for. Uh, superficial people will say that oh, it's just someone who changed his look and you know is for getting attention, whatever. But it was always connected to something that really meant something to Jan, like like uh, um, uh, connecting to Leary, of course, when you're in California, but maintaining then that kind of uh, ah, hippie look sounds so. Bad, but let's just stay with that then. A kind of Californian hippie look uh, while being in that mind frame. Whereas, of course, when you're in gritty uh, conservative London in the late 70s, you yeah. adopt to that kind of look, which is gray and garb and leather and black and, you know, it's harsh. And then moving on to these things. Uh, while at the same time doing real studies and inspirational research about these things. Like um, in the hyperdelic times, I remember um, in in Topi newsletters and stuff, Jen wanted more material about, you know, Leary and also about the diggers and and, uh, these things that had been going on in the 60s that were really philosophical. It was not just about dropping out. Yeah, uh, there was substance. There was real substance there. Yeah. That was true for the process stuff that came in America uh, right when Jan had moved. Um, that fascination. That yeah, led Jan, to Jan was a great, great, Riley. great champion of of um, psychedelic underdogs throughout the last, you know, through the sixties yes, and before. Maybe a, a kind of identification. Who knows? Abso- uh, I think but, absolutely, but, but also a sense of uh, wanting to. Um, uh, connect the dots between them and force people to remember so that it wasn't forgotten. And and that I would love to know, what was it in Jen's life in the 60s that made her uh, such a zealot for pushing that forward to the point of, of mm-hmm. devoting her life to it, whether it was seeing Brian Jones as a kid mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. what you know, because other people did not do that. And Jen didn't just like, you know, it wasn't the Museum of Magic as Jen carried the impetus yeah. forward. I mean, she said that, you know, the hyperdelic thing is such an awesome evolution of of psychedelic uh, clothing yeah. from the 60s. And in the same way that she said the uh, Pandrogeny Project was it just the extension of the Burroughs Geisen cut up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, was, it was soldiering it forward into the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think... It, it's uh, there's really uh, so much to um, uh, 
uh, go into. I was, I was looking for um, some other kind of extremity, uh, extreme look or extreme interest. But basically, all of it, you, you know, because you were saying that, you know, what was the reason for being so obsessed in a way and carrying these things forward? I, I think. Um, it's a combination and it all boils down to what was going on in the 60s. Hmm. You know, um, those uh, heavy duty experiments. And of course, there was LSD involved. Uh, and uh, that psychedelic uh, imprint, uh, it's easy when you're not just getting high on a weekend for, you know, what do you call it? Um, you know, just having fun, but it really does affect you. Uh, then, I noticed way back when that there is a sense of almost um, religiosity. I mean, if you like it, that is, you know, some people don't like it, but if you have great experiences and they affect you so deeply, uh, then you want to almost automatically to, to proselytize in a way, mm. you want to tell other people about it. Then you have sort of, I wouldn't go so far as to say like a Christ complex, but you want to share basically all the cool things that you've experienced. And it could be like cool music you've heard, but it could also be inner deep experiences you've had because of this chemical or because of that chemical or because of meditation, whatever. And I think uh, Jen had that uh, nature of wanting to uh, not only share casually among friends, but to actually disseminate, really yeah. disseminate and distribute knowledge and the same kind of inspiration that was there originally in, in you know, in that system. Uh, and I'm not saying it all had to do with LSD, but I think that was one very, very key um, instigator, yeah. uh, those experiences, while at the same time, you know, being a budding artist and not wanting to conform and being in a, where it was basically playful. You could, it was ritual in a way, but it was also playful. It was an art performance in a way, but it was also ritual. So you had this sort of gray area, what I call a colorful gray area uh, between art and magic and mind expansion and all these things. And of course, if that's your formatting stage, you don't really want to leave, you know, unless you burn out. Uh, but I think that if you experience that kind of uh, intense elevation of your mind, of your creativity, then that's who you will want to be yeah. throughout the rest of your life. And that that's, I think, is is well, correct to say it's, what it, happened to Jan. It's a great thing to imprint on, and, and it's something that needs to be carried forward. I think um, I, I wouldn't also discount, um, you know, Jen was always talking about them <laughs> the okay. forces of control, which I'm mm -hmm. not sure did her that much good psychologically, but, you know, I think that, um, her experiences in English public school, uh, probably played a big deal, uh, a big part in wanting to attack control and, and, and attack mm -hmm. this system that Jen saw that saw the, you know, the, the callous leaders of the, the future Britain being, being raised yes. in brutality often directed at her. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the only times I saw Jen flinch, uh, at anything was we were watching TV, uh, in New York and there was something about, uh, like corporal punishment in schools or something like that. And she just had to leave the room. And I don't think mm -hmm. she ever really talked about that period that much, but you know, clearly, uh, whatever happened there was, uh, set her, I think on a, a lifelong quest of revenge, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think so. And, and, but then again, you know, there are some people who just go into complete denial or, or depression or, or 
I don't know, uh, repression. Uh, but Jen um, at least touched upon that in the uh, in the documentary, saying that because of all the negative day-to-day things that happened uh, in school, that was one of the reasons why Jen used to spend lunch, for instance, the lunch hour or the lunch half hour in the library organizing mm. books alphabetically. That's funny. And that thing I did the same stuck, thing. I didn't know that. Yes, uh, that that thing uh, stuck so much that uh, I think that's why Jen became such a good archivist in a way, not not just yeah. of, of your own of, of his own bookshelf, but also of the entire archive of, of yeah, just PG phenomenal, and phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, like as you as you know. Um, Unfortunately, never got to see the archive that was taken by Scotland Yard. But, you know, I spent a, a lot of time in Jen's basement in that archive, re-filing mm-hmm. re, uh, it. And then and then I basically processed all those files into the Psychic Bible, the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really felt this just overwhelming sense of, I mean, Jen asked me to do it, but I just had this overwhelming sense of th- this has to be preserved and it has to be. Yeah. Uh, I think Jen often... Um, occasionally well jen recognized that i had a very like um uh how do i put it kind of like compartmentalizing and librarian like brain right. and and that i could art she could have ideas that for her just came out of just the artistic process and then i could then write an essay about it where all the academic links same as you right mm-hmm. so um i was uh uh you know spent a lot of time putting that material back together and kind of making a cohesive whole out of it. It's just phenomenal yeah. archives. Jen archived everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Absolutely. And, and, uh, what happened to those, uh, by the way, those got sold to the Tate modern or something. Uh, yes, exactly. Tate Britain actually. Okay. Uh, and, uh, they're there, you know, they're there for, uh, research purposes. Uh, I think, uh, some people have, um, I have not been there. Um, but I mean, it's totally accessible if you have a valid like project or something. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I saw recently that, um, uh, accesses that is, uh, it's a weird fucking book that came out just recently. It's called, uh, uh, art on the occult, which is such a vague title, you know, <laughs> but it's basically a catalog of, I think it's a, it's an exhibition of, uh, at the Tate, uh, or maybe the book is a standalone thing. Basically, it's stuff from their own collection, stuff from the Tate collection that has to do with uh, the occult in a way. And I mean, that's a big umbrella. You can fit a lot of things uh, underneath that umbrella. Uh, but uh, I love the pictures. It's a great book. You know, if you, know, you enjoy this kind of art, whatever it is. But there's only one gen thing there and that's uh, like a flyer for someone selling a dream machine in the u.s <laughs> <Okay>. i guess <laughs> you know okay. or midnight is probably and that's the thing and it's credited to jen and then in some other places as from the archive of genesis PRH. so that comes from the thing and also another real fuck up on that note in that yeah. book is that you know it's not jen is not indexed at p you know, Peorage, oh, no. comma, Genesis. It's on G, Genesis Peorage, whereas everyone else is like correct. So That's obviously it's, it's an indexer or a writer, um, probably an academic that has no clue of what she's talking Don't about. Don't they have so, Google? 
Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's, that's, I have that's yet bad. to go through that. I think that that book will actually merit the introduction for Fenris Wolf 12. Hmm. Because it, it pisses me off when it sounds so good, you know, Tate, they make a book about art and the occult and they have so much cool stuff and they can't even contextualize it correctly, despite the fact that the past 10, 15 years have been all about this. You know, a culture, academics, yeah. you know, a culture in the pop culture, you know, you know, people should just uh, pay attention to what's out there and not just uh, be uh, sitting in their uh, blinders in their archives. But yeah. anyway, the, the Gen, Gen archive is at the Tate's. And it's there for people who want to do real, real uh, research also. That's great. That's really good to hear. Um, mm. The... Um, yeah, and as far as I can say, like the psychic Bible was, as far as I'm concerned, the entirety of the magical material in the archive. I did not leave mm-hmm. anything out, and I spent five years on that, including time mm-hmm. spent hustling the book, eventually getting it to Feral House. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was everything in the archive, and also edited and 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 uh, in a, and put into a digestible and organized format mm-hmm. but but the mm-hmm. material that went into that was just kind of like loose papers and flyers and mimeographs and you know old topi transmissions and things like that so mm-hmm. um but yeah jen jen truly did archive everything i i you never know. Maybe the Scotland Yard uh, exhibition will resurface, or not exhibition, the Scotland Yard, the, what they stole from the House of mm. Brighton may resurface. Maybe if somebody decides they can make money off it, you, you never mm. know. Yeah, but let's, let's stay with the Psychic Bible because um, I've uh, been having it uh, out uh, because I'm working with this sort of historical stuff and it's good. It's a good, you know, solid well done, Jason. It's very well put together. Uh, but it's also what struck me is that it's amazing. I mean, if you look at um, stuff in other, let's call it contemporary traditions, and we could even include the Thelemic uh, stuff there because uh, there's there are new things being added to the canon of Thelema uh-huh. that is not Crowley. You know, you just have to accept. It could be you know biographies or interpretations, whatever. It's a kind of a it's a good culture. You know, they create new stuff. The same thing is true for for um, for the Satanic or the you know at least the, the Church of Satan with uh, Blanche writing a book and there's the Satanic Warlock. And, you know, things are added to the canon basically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, chaos magic has always been very you know healthy and vital. Um, you I, think, sort you of think lost. so? I mean, uh, I was going to say I have lost track of yeah. the past year, so I don't really know. But anyway, it used to be. It used to be very. It was thriving incredibly and, thriving and vibrant, and yeah. I, I always saw Topi and Jen as part of that current. And, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. But what I wanted to get to was that that when I flip through a Psychic Bible, it's like, wow, this book is amazing because it's such a powerhouse of of uh, radical approaches to magic, to psychology, uh, to uh, uh, I don't know, a mind frame of resistance that is non-denominational. You know, you can talk about control or, as you said before, them, you know, in that kind of, it's a kind of a, a paranoid terminology in a way. Yeah. But it's the kind of general resistance to anything that oppresses you as an individual. It could be any kind of, you know, political system or party or uh, allegation or, or allegiance, I mean. Um, but but um, it's such a powerful thing. And to to have it collected like that, like the Psyche Bible, uh, that packs a punch. It really because does. On, 
Yeah, because on their own, you know, all the pieces are, you know, they're great. They're really radical and stuff. But when you do contextualize it like that, then it becomes something. In a way, it becomes denominational because it's topi. Right. Uh, I certainly don't mind that. But then if you look at what kind of signal does this denomination carry, and it's a fucking strong signal, and it's it really radical. Is. And, and I, I, yeah. I did that because I wanted I wanted that book to stand next to the Crowley Blue Brick yeah. and the Golden Dawn by Rigardi. But like, it's, it is frustrating. It's like, you know, particularly both of us having had this experience of, of Jen, it's like, Topi was and is so forward thinking that the quote unquote larger occult scene, whatever it is, has still not absorbed the psychic Bible. To be honest with you, I have not absorbed the psychic Bible, even though I spent five years looking at it Mm -hmm. uh, because there's so much material in there. It was just like Mm -hmm. when you're looking at something up close, uh, you don't really see it. I didn't, I wasn't able to get the experience of like, okay, somebody hands me the book and I work, I try the exercises and work through it or something. That wasn't my, I was, I was Mm -hmm. focused on, on uh, editing. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I have to tell you that that I, I remember already I can't recall which year it was, but before I sort of uh, uh, got to know Jen uh, physically, you know, the first time was in 86, but before then I'd been a Topi subscriber Mm. uh, and start, you know, uh, starting experimenting with these things. And for me, uh, it was very inspiring. I I mean, I I liked Psychic TV, you know, uh, there was a lot of information in the LPs and and then you became a subscriber and you got little newsletters and, you know, the stuff highly inspiring for me because of resonance, something in that thing, in the material spoke to me in a way. But then the key thing was uh, actually getting the gray book. Hmm. And and that to me, at that time, I had already, you know, uh, done the basic sort of teenage thing, you know, Crowley, LaVey, a bit of Golden Dawn, you know, Colin Wilson's The Occult. It's like the, ba- the basic classics. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Without without delving into it on a technical level, because I was, I think I was too young for, for, for that at the time. But anyway, here comes Grey Book, and it sort of really knocks your socks off because it speaks to you in your language of exactly that era, that time, um, and has uh, a stripped kind of look uh, simple, stark, elegant, uh, with those tipped-in photographs, and it, it really blew my mind because it was magic that you could uh, immediately understand, that you understood that this is something that I can apply. This is not—I yeah. haven't had to go through the uh, rigid rigmaroles of the any of the Crowley orders, the hierarchical structures, uh, occultic nincompoopish terminology. Just straight signal yeah uh, and, and it's still so strong when you when you got speak- that when you got that book for the first time at that like yeah. where it was like i'm trying to put it in context for now because when i got the gray book it was a text file on a website mm-hmm. in, in the in the 90s um and that's not quite the same and uh you know now like everyone and their mother has seen somebody talking about how to do a sigil. It's ubiquitous. But at the time, I'm guessing that was probably completely fresh. Uh, Or maybe not. It was fresh. It was in the, it was definitely in the zeitgeist because, you know, there was IOT on the one hand and they were really championing spare. And, and Topi had also, you know, completely integrated and champion spare. Uh, And then there was, uh, at the time, uh, the original editions, uh, they were few, I mean, of spare. They were were um, very rare and very expensive. 
even at that time. You know? I think Jen, Jen uh, mentioned buying some of them for like 20 pounds from uh, Atlanta's bookshop or something like that when nobody cared about them. And Jen was also instrumental of, of, along with Kenneth Grant and people like that of getting people's that's attention. Absolutely. On, on absolutely. But there was this bookstore in Leeds called The, the uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's infamous, and, yes. And they, they uh, created a book that meant so much to me and I think to many uh, people. It was like the collected works of Austin Osman Spare. And it was kind of, it was nicely done. It's just facsimile from uh, the books from the collection of uh, Lionel Snell, Ramsey Dukes. And and um, that was feasible. You know, you could afford that as a young person. And then you had everything, you had all of Spare's books in one volume. And, and that came out, I think the first edition was with an intro by uh, Pete Carroll. And the second one had an introduction by Lionel Snell. And I think that was in 1987. Is that, that at all different out. from, you know, there's that three book... There's that three book set from Inferno to Zoss, and then there's the Zoss Speaks book by Kenneth Grant, and I've never actually seen copies of those. Is that I'm and I'm curious if you have if there is additional writing by Spare in them that is not widely available, or actually just what is uh, in, what is in those books? Because so, well, it's like a thousand dollars on uh, they're like a thousand dollars on eBay. Right, but that's because they're on on. Uh, I guess it's Fulgur or Starfire, one of those companies that mm-hmm. that just that's just what happens. Uh, Sauce Speaks is is a much more personal thing. It's not uh, an anthology of old stuff. It's um, um, correspondence and um, yeah, definitely extra material there. It, it's not a reproduction of of his books. It's a book about him okay. in a way. Uh, from Inferno to Sauce, I don't know what that is. Is that that there sounds like, like three big cloth books like this, and it was prior. Oh, it was prior oh, to Fuller. Oh, now I, I know think. exactly. Yeah. That's Mandrake. That's that's yes. Tony Naylor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, those are facsimiles. Those, oh, those okay. are spares books. So there's nothing in those that is not widely available. Uh, I would say so. I think okay. I think Vanessa has those. I I, I can check that. But but uh, I think those are just uh, Tony Naylor style anthologies. You know, um, one thing where that Saul is, speaks is something else. One thing that has not happened. You should do this if you can. A coffee table book of Spare's artwork. That's never happened. Like most of it, you can't see. I have a crazy Austin Spare story that relates to Jen that uh, you'll love, and it demonstrates how much of a magical vortex Jen was. Um, I, I met Jen 2003, and the way that I met her was I went to go interview her for Disinformation, who I was writing. I was writing for her at that time, and then I became an intern and became their main editor. Um, mm-hmm. So I went, and, and they were connected with Jen because of DisinfoCon. So yeah. I went to go interview Jen, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. It's like somebody like hanging from hooks from the ceiling or something like that. God knows, you know, like, and, um, so I walk up and I, I, of course meet a very, very nice English housewife who has me up for tea and, 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 and with lady J and they're both absolutely lovely. And then I was walking and I'm 21 year old, you know, acne college student. And I'm walking down the steps of the uh, Gates Institute afterwards. And Jen's opening the door for me. And then she just turns at me and says, now you have to do it. And I'm like, okay. And I later, that was just tremendous. I had, and I was like, why would this person even have spent time with me? Um, but then that deepened, that relationship deepened. And I was, uh, I then asked formally, I did the thing, uh, you know, tell me about magic. 
with Jen, like Geisen, and uh, mm. um, and then it became a, an apprenticeship. But um, r- shortly after that, I spent the f- I spent a summer directly interning for Jen. I think it was in two thousand three, and that was they were still reeling from. I mean, Jen was still processing and so heartbroken over everything that had happened in in the U in the UK. And she'd been in America for quite a while, but, um, and this is prior to any of the art world influence, uh, interest or anything like that. And they were both living in, uh, as you know, a one bedroom rail- railroad apartment in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, which was a magical vortex. Um, but Jen was not widely known at all outside. Of, I, I would say not known outside of the occult world or industrial music fans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so I spent, I, I spent like the, the, I spent the summer actually spent quite a lot of time living there, sleeping on the floor next to Spike the ferret. If you remember Spike. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and just kind of getting an education. But then I, I went to London to finish my final year of school. And at that time I was very, I, I, I spent a lot, I was very heavily involved with the IOT for a long time, uh, a long time, actually. Um, I'm not anymore. But, um, cause I'm on my own vibe, man. But, uh, uh, I was at that time. So I was kind of over there hanging out with all these chaos magicians, but, um, Jen gave me, when I went, gave me the address of, was it Jen? No, this was so weird. It wasn't a direct connection. So I went from Jen's house to sleeping on the floor in Northwest London, ironically close to where Kenneth Grant lived, but I didn't know that at the time. And I spent a month looking for a flat to live in that a student could afford. And finally, I saw an ad at my university with just this little note with musical notes written on it saying like, do you like fun? Are you a student here? You can have this flat for whatever amount it was. And I was like, and it was in Notting Hill. And I was like, how is it possible for a place to be this cheap in Notting Hill? This is crazy. It was affordable for a student. So I went and I checked it out and I walk up and the person that lives in this flat is an upper crust heiress who's really into like, she's talking about like her daddy and the, the aristocracy and how she goes horse riding in the Jersey islands and, uh, and, and so forth. And just seems like this very like upper, upper class, you know, English woman. And then I look up on the shelf and she's got every fucking Kenneth Grant book. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't mean to be funny, but why do you have those books? And then she says, "Oh, can I, you 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 must meet my my ex husband." So this woman turns out to be an art restorer, and she's showing me pictures of spare paintings that she had been restoring. Here's the Jen thing. I think like one of the. I'm so glad I'm getting this this on tape. Uh, one of the. I think a, a day or two before I left New York, Jen was telling me a story about having those spare paintings in the Topi house in Brighton and some, and then watching sparks come out of them. Like just a spark would emerge uh, at night. And there was, of course, this, this story, apparently some Topi people decided to take acid with one of the paintings and it went horribly wrong. But uh, (laughs) Jen said that like, they would see sometimes sparks of light coming out of spares paintings. So I'm talking to this woman who's an art restorer for spare of spare paintings is like, okay, how the hell, like how, how it's like beyond synchronicity. And then she starts saying like, yes. And as I was restoring them, I saw sparks coming out of them. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. oh, fuck. 
okay. And then she's just like, you must meet Charles. So she takes me to meet her ex-husband who is British, you know, ruling class. And he turns out to be the second biggest spare collector in, in the world. Mm. And he's got all of those paintings all over the walls. He had like 70, 80 spare paintings and I've never seen them anywhere else. Uh, there were ones with, and, and interestingly, there were ones with, um, uh, specific material from Crowley book. Like there were ones with clephotic sigils in them, for mm-hmm. instance, from library 231. And it's like stuff I've never seen, never seen it on the internet, never seen it published, uh, just so much stuff. And, um, there's more hilarious stories that emerge from that. Like, uh, uh, I ended up going with him to meet, uh, uh, kind of like one of these English um, restaurants that's so that only the upper crust can go to, and it's so expensive. There's no prices on the menu, and uh, and meeting his friend who was a POW in a Japanese uh, POW camp, and then met went to India to meet Krishnamurti. And uh, at that time, it was the 2004 protests, which would, of the the Iraq War, which were the biggest protests at that time in history. And so I'm sitting there with like these two extremely upper upper crust English. English guys and they're just kind of like looking down from the second floor at like the protest going by and uh, <laughs> and, and one of them says like I don't know about these protesters they're quite grubby aren't they mm-hmm. just like and, and there's more from 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 then on but but uh that was so fucking bizarre particularly the the spark and I mentioned it to Jen and yeah. Jen thought it was hilarious and Jen was like yes spare must like you watch out he's not all friendly it's like, yeah. And this guy, by the way, told me some crazy stories. He said that, um, one of his, well, I probably, they're, they're so extreme. I probably should not mention them on the podcast. I'm getting that feeling, but, yeah. uh, of, of, uh, people working with spare stuff and it going wrong. Mm. Anyways, that just, that, that jumped out of my brain to share. Yes. I, I think, um, someone should make a spare coffee table book. I don't think it'll be me. But but uh, I think you know Fulger uh, certainly did, they've done a good job. But of course there's more, as you say. You know some private collectors. I know for a fact that uh, Jimmy Page started collecting early on, also, and then uh, the uh, you know there are a few others that are sort of in the Topi ripples. Uh, Ossian Brown of Cyclobe. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, Janet actually given me Ossian's um, contact to look up when I was there, and I asked. I, I tried to get Ossian on the uh, podcast, but he doesn't. He's he's very private, um, which mm. is fine. Uh, but I and I met Ossian at the same time, and I, I seem to remember there was some. He was in Coil at the time, and I think that there was some spare connection there as well. Oh, absolutely. They had. Uh, I was there. They had an entire room called the spare room. That's where guests stayed. There's just so many spares in there. And that's so a funny I met story. these two people within the space of a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's I have a funny story from that. Um, I visited Coil in '97, uh, and we had a nice time just you know going to dinner and going back to their place and just chit chatting and listening to music. And uh, I took uh, some pictures of them as I as I do, uh, and um, it was so. Nice, you know, it was, uh, we'd been in contact before, we used to send each other records and stuff. Uh, and then we met uh, the year after at the big Crowley show. And it was just like, you know, a good friendship that lasted all the way till, till Sleazy died, basically. Mm. Uh, then in the aftermath, we're now 
probably 2016, meaning like six, seven years after Sleazy died. Um, then a friend of Vanessa's uh, who um, uh, was in charge of uh, the estate, helping to organize the estate, uh, Sleazy's estate, uh, sent us two pictures, two pictures of me in the spare room that Sleazy had taken okay. for that same visit that I had, I had forgotten completely about that. But that was for me like, whoa, full circle. Wow. So I took a picture Sleazy took a picture and I'm standing there in, you know, uh, in front of this very long, t- you know, horizontal uh, spare. It's beautiful. That's great. So, they, they must have been a trip to hang out with. Absolutely. But well, not, not, uh, I didn't get the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Exuberant. I got the, you know, nice and friendly and cozy listening, drinking tea and coffee and listening to music side. Not not the extravagant. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, not the uh, rent boys and uh, methamphetamine side. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, and and um, uh, I'm sure that was fun too. But uh, no, it was just uh, super nice. And I think uh, it was at a you know at, at a point where um, I think people projected other th- other things on me than merely mm. being like. Uh, uh, a close gen ally, ally or how, how do you, what do you mean by that no what I mean is that that uh, uh, we'd been already friends for at that time 97 that was like 10 years and that's a long time in gen land you know a lot of people had relationships and they, they were over after 10 years and also we'd been working so closely together in Topi and the at Stockholm CD mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that so uh, people were projecting that you know I was part of of that but uh, in the mid 90s I also branched out in other things and did other things um, magically and you know worked with other people and at that time Coil was playing w- together with with uh, uh, Hymenaeus Beta, hmm. uh, who was also a friend and an, an associate of mine, uh, and still is. Uh, but but um, that I think opened them up to the fact that Carl is nice and he's made some you know cool music. But we can let him in uh, because uh, he's not only Jan. It's not only about uh, yes. Jan. It's about magic in general and cool psychedelic and music and and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I got so, that. A, I got that a little bit too. Now that you're bringing this up, it's like kind of like interacting with people, um, uh, particularly in in the chaos magic scene who have been around for a while. There, there was a sense when I I uh, talked about knowing Jen so closely. It's like, like, oh, like you're like an extension of Jen. Like you're with you're like in yeah. Jen's cult. Yeah. And um, there and 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 the particularly when I, I I will say it's like even when I was in England this was in like two yeah two thousand four uh, the reactions to Jen when Jen came up were pretty uniformly negative mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I I never really got a sense of what that that you know that whatever went down before Jen left uh, the UK. Mm. Well, I think I think it's uh, just part of part of the psychology is that I'm a very um, friendly person. Uh, I have a very hard time getting uh, angry or or so disappointed that I completely discard people. Uh, and I think um, I don't know of anyone else basically who was on friendly terms with Jen for such a long time. Mm. Actually, I do know one other person, Kathleen Gray. Uh, from the October Gallery, um, they were also friends for for the entire period, basically. 
But anyway, I think with people having very uh, distinct business things with Jen, that created problems. Yeah. Uh, eventually, and and uh, you know, you could say that uh, you know, Sleazy had. Uh, uh, they they were friends, you know. They had very good interaction and a good third mind, but there were also business things involved, uh, both with with uh, TG and also Psychic TV, mm-hmm. uh, and very noticeable <laughs> vis-a-vis Chris and Cozy. That yes. was all about negative <laughs> yes. negative yes. business, yes. Uh, and there were other examples of that also. So I think on a real friendship level or on a real let's call it a real magical level, there were never really any problems. The problems uh, had to do with you know, mundane, banal, money-related business things. And it's uh, unfortunately so common, you know, that where someone, for instance, uh, owes someone £10 in 1982, and with the (laughs) emotional interest added, it becomes a huge magical conflict, a magical war. Well, that is something that Jen dwelt on consistently, (laughs) shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. So, so that, that's that's I think that's the the reason why you have people uh, falling out, or when Jen was mentioned, as you say, in certain uh, surroundings, it's like no, we can't do that. And then, of course, you have the primitive sidings, which is so uh, pathetic. You know, I was thinking, for instance, of of uh, Coase's book. You know, yeah, with these that's, allegations. That's, fu- that's fucking ridiculous. And then the Guardian yeah. article and, that came and then out you that made this, me really this, mad. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I mean, they, sharp- who know? I mean, like, like, look, it's like it's it's like a, an ex girlfriend airing dirt. I mean, who knows what actually happened? But it just like it was clearly vindictive and you know the the second part of when i said i I was getting negative reactions to jen in it like my response to that was always an overwhelming sense of protectiveness Mm -hmm. and because like you know with jen there was love with the occult scene there was not there was just interest in this topic and you know how edgelordy people can be in this scene but it's like it's like i go to jen's house and it's like it's like mom and dad or mom, dad and dad, mom, <laughs> you know, Jen and Jackie. <laughs> and, uh, it was this very, very loving, accepting energy, which, which unfortunately wasn't, wasn't quite there. It was still there, but it wasn't quite there in the same way when, when Jackie died. Cause Jen was in a lot of pain, uh, yeah. a lot, a lot. Um, so I was always just protective of, you know, it's like, you don't know her like I know her, but, um, mm-hmm. I forget how I got on that topic. Uh, cozy, yeah, and and I think there's been you know other hit pieces, but like who yeah. hasn't had hit? Like it's like who of cultural interest hasn't like had this happen to them? Unfortunately, everyone. Yeah, it's part of the game. Apparently. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you mentioned something in the book too. It's like Jen has a lot of grievance collectors. Uh, Fred Gianelli, for instance, and you make the yeah. point like where you know would these people have careers without Jen? Um, no. Uh, certainly not in his case. I mean, oh. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. There, there. Um, my my relationship with Jen was, as we say, painful but fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many ways in which I did feel personally let down by Jen. There were many ways that I felt guilty that I had let down Jen. This is not things I'm going to air on the podcast or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, but it was complicated. But that was always, um, I think, over ridden by my how much i love jen and continue to and the the phrase loyalty does not end with death is a real thing and you know i said when i was at um in the hospital with jen shortly before she died 
you know, I said to her, I think you mentioned this too in the book. I, like I said to her at her bedside, it's like, yeah, I will continue fighting. And Jen said, I know you will. Mm. Um, and that, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, when Jen said, you have to do it now, I took that seriously. I still do. I always will. Mm. And, um, I, I gather from the book that you feel the same mm. and, uh, that's really important. And so, uh, the point I was trying to, what's the point I was trying to make with this? Um, I'm not sure it is tough to see like the, the grievance, the grievance mongers, you know, it's like, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so easy also. It's, a, it's like a cheap shot, you know, it's like uh, kicking someone who's lying down, whatever. And it's just pathetic. But I, I think uh, the, um, it could also be, uh, what do you call it, when you feel like uh, rejected. I think uh, Jen was very charismatic, very magnetic. There was magical power in the sense that he, he was like a, um, a procreator or a proto-creator. Mm -hmm. Ideas came from within and made people fascinated and they want to be uh, around this uh, powerhouse, this this uh, yeah. magnetic pool. Uh, there are very few people like that. I mean, I think very there exist more, more, more in the, in the uh, art sphere than in the magic sphere. Usually magic is something where you take something old and you might repackage it in a way. Uh, in, in art, in more cases, you can find people who actually come up with something new. Or in but politics anyway, was, or, or in business. I mean, there's a certain aspect yeah. of Jen that, that uh, is similar to Burroughs in a way, it's like underneath all of this was um, a very, was, how do I put this? I think somebody who had a very clear sense from her background and education and cultural mm -hmm. background coming from England and having this high, high level of education that she's kind of there um, to, to civilize people in the British mm -hmm. sense and, and very much be in charge and had, had because Jen got the public school education that the future leaders of England had. Mm -hmm. And so it was, and, and that was always there underneath everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also it could be a, a psychological comp compensation from having been bullied also, regardless of what kind of school, you know, then you want to be, you want to be on top and you want to be yeah. the best. It's like people who are, um, have a problem with connecting with the mother or father, they can become overachievers, you know, overachieving for mommy, stuff like that. And I think that, that Jen had such an incredible work ethic. That was one yeah. of the things that attracted me that, in the that, first that's place. That's like probably one of the biggest things I got from Jen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that, that comes from something and, and you can use it to your advantage and it's great. Uh, and of course one has to be careful so one doesn't actually concretely burn out uh, but uh, again uh, that becomes a problem when you have like uh, you know a coterie or a small group like in a band for instance or or, uh, or just a group of similarly minded people um, where someone you realize that whoa this person is better or more influential or more powerful in a way but can I deal with it and then you deal with it either or saying, yeah I accept it I can learn something. I can hopefully learn, teach that person something, but I learn from that person has more experience. Or the other reaction is usually, no, fuck that person. I'm not going to take this. He's a, he's a bad person. Da, da, yeah. da. Meaning it becomes like a compensation to protect yourself from your own feeling of inferiority. Mm. And that's what happened for sure in all of those band contexts, because we have to be, yeah. you know, I think very, very honest in saying that, um, 
I know for a fact that Sleazy was an absolute musical genius, hmm. absolutely. Hmm. And and Jen was an artist slash magician or a magician slash artist. And without Jen and a bit of Sleazy, there would not be any interest in throbbing gristle at all hmm. you know they they did their things you know uh chris being like you know the synth guy and and cozy did her thing and stuff like that but what it will always be remembered for um is an output that you know contains them but it was all about the ideas uh and yes. concepts that yes. came from Jan. what they were you yeah know? absolutely it's that simple and absolutely. those people had a problem with that when it was all over uh, and the same thing can happen in any band you know this always one driving force has ideas and and yes. a will to be seen you know usually and the every, singer every morning i wake up and thank my lucky stars that i'm not a musician particularly now. <laughs> yeah because i mean I, th I think this is just inevitable for bands it seems like yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just part of music um yeah, I, Chris, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not like pro Chris and Cozy here. It's like with Jen, you always have to pick a side and it's always Jen's side. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I will say like Chris Carter in particular is like very, um, I've noticed very revered in the electronic music, like people who build synths mm -hmm. scenes. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say, he, you know, I think he, he built a lot of those, that equipment that they used. I think that was a yeah. pretty profound part of it. Mm. And it's wonderful stuff. So I'm not disrespecting them. They're they're wonderful people in their own right. Mm. But but they are not as uh, uh, advanced uh, as Jen was or as Lisi was. Uh, and they have uh, they bore grudges for a long time for Apparently, very petty yeah. reasons. Yeah. And and it's just uh, it's just sad. And Life also, is too to short say, for this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, and he says, why, why bother with these petty fucking conflicts that happened around 1980, you know, get a fucking life. Uh, and uh, Jen certainly had a good life, uh, rich, varied, magical, filled with uh, incredible adventures, like, you know, beyond belief meetings, yeah. uh, sw swimming in synchronicities, just like any good magician does. So, so, and that stings in other people's eyes. It hurts other people who have not led those lives. I don't understand Although, that at all. I mean, it's like, um, particularly because Jen was, um, Jen was the center of the show wherever Jen was. That's for sure. I mean, I was thinking about yeah. this last night. Like, like they talk about Steve Jobs having a reality distortion field. Like, you should have <laughs> met Genesis Peorage. It's like, <laughs> yeah. when, when you were around Jen, reality was what Jen said it was and whatever drama was going on. Like that's what was happening. Like that's the entirety of what's happening. And, um, the cosmos that Jen created, that's your reality when you're around Jen and the people that were circulating, that was part of the projection of Jen's will. And, um, I was thinking about like as I, I mentioned, I was getting, I was getting emotional as as I was reading your essays, and I was it was it gave me a great window, and thank you, it gave me a great window, an opportunity to start at least beginning to say, well, how do how do I feel? And I had an image last night of um, Jen as both a white and black hole, and what I mean by that is Jen was unbelievably creative, and not just creative of art but turning other people into creators mm -hmm. and, and um, unleashing and giving people permission to be, be that, which was mm -hmm. huge. And you can see, you know, like even naming people like David Tibet and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but Jen also very much had a destructive dark side and um, that affected people around her as well. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that was a, um, there's a lot of pain and sadness for me from that time because there was a lot of pain and sadness from Jen and Jackie, particularly mm -hmm. after Jackie died, but even before that. Um, and so I kind of had this image of like Jen being this white hole of constant creation, but also this black gravitational vortex where it's like, mm -hmm. you can get sucked in and lose yourself. Yeah. For, yeah. For sure no, it's like a Jen. Shiva, Shiva aspect. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's part of it. You know, it's like, this is not something I, 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 I um, that's part of it. And, and, and for me, I got to a point where at least in my own process and training, I decided, um, particularly later when Jen was using, it's like, uh, well, later, later, I'm not sure there was later. Um, but you know, it's like, I can either be around Jen and do whatever Jen says, or I can respect Jen by carrying on the work with, with what I'm yeah, and, and pushing forward instead of, because at that point I'm in my late twenties instead of kind of like being subsumed by this person totally. But I didn't see that as a rebellion. I saw that as an upholding of what I had been taught and kind of leaving the nest to become my own magician. Yeah, that that's great. And I think also it's, it's not uh, the revelation can be powerful for 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 you or me or other individuals involved in the same uh, dynamics with with um, uh, strong magicians um but it's not unique this is how it's been going on since uh, i wouldn't say time immemorial <laughs> but at least within our kind of western civilization in a way where you've had people who have as they say now identified as uh, occultists or magicians and some of these have been very powerful and thereby also gone through occulturation and created uh, an occulture that has seeped into the culture uh, proper um, so there have always been this thing we think of it romantically like a uh, uh, sorcerers and then you have the sorcerer's apprentice but that's a real thing because it stems back from medieval times when each guild had their apprentices and then you worked and you became a master that's where it comes from that kind of oh yeah uh, that dynamic you know oh i had and, a, and i had the, a very i don't want to interrupt but i had a very clear sense of that at the time it's like this is a very old process i mean literally showing up on jen's doorstep and then sweeping the ashram mm -hmm. cleaning the dishes i mean like literally it's like this was a very uh, there were so many levels to it that were mythological like that. And even uh, uh, classically, I remember going out with Jen and Jackie when I was first living with them. And there was kind of like this testing period where Jen was trying to push me away uh, to see if perhaps literally <laughs> or, or perhaps to see if I was serious. But I remember um, going out with them to there was a do you remember JT Leroy? Yes. It was like this literary uh, fraud mm -hmm. phenomenon. It, yeah. there, well, this was before this was revealed. So we went out to the JT Leroy book release. And like, I remember like, I, I never forget this because Courtney Love was there and just like came up drunkenly sat on Jen's lap and started singing God star to her. And I was like, this is the <laughs> biggest train wreck of a human being I've ever seen. This is scary. Uh, and I'm just sitting there like this, like very innocent, like 21 year old. Uh. But, but I remember Jen leaned over to me and says like, you know, I don't, I don't know who you think I am, Jason. Like, I'm just a psychedelic refugee from the sixties. And so there was like a lot of this, like, I don't know anything, mm. you know? And, and, and to be, to be fair also, it's like in terms of ritual technology or 
occult learning or anything like that. I didn't get that from Jen. Like I got that from reading and I got that with from the IoT, honestly, mm -hmm. like practicing magic. But what I got from, not got from, Jen brought me up so many levels to see what, it just, it just osmosis by example, I think. Mm -hmm. Rather than like giving me homework or something like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But but the the question is if uh, that's maybe always the case. Mm. You know, maybe that's how it actually works. Because if you look at it from the point of view of going into a, a more classic conservative structure, like with Freemasonic nature, and you get information that you have to study to make a test. You know, it's like, right. uh, maybe that's not a good dissemination of real magical current. You know, it could be of, of knowledge of some kind, like the Golden Dawn, they had their knowledge lectures for, for just establishing a, a basis of uh, classic esoteric knowledge. But I think that... Um, um, I don't think that, you know, Barros and Geisen uh, were talking to Jen specifically about, you know, uh, doing the lesser banishing ritual, the right, pentagram. Right, right. I don't it was think a they different, knew it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a different kind of transmission that yeah. gelled into uh, their specific third mind, you know, and then it gelled into someone else's third mind with Jan. And before that, Barros probably, you know, could be Herbert Hunky, whatever, or some other person, um, who uh, instructed them in something where Geisen could have had that with with um, uh, John Star Cook in North Africa or with some some real Berber magicians hmm. in, in uh, Morocco, wow. you know. Wow. It's all these confluences of, of uh, consciousness that merge in people. And then if they're good, they will pass it on and yeah. not hog it. You have to, you, you have know? to. Otherwise, it's, it's just, yeah. yeah. You have to. So I and think that's that's what happened with with uh, Jan. Jan. Jan was like uh, beyond a flare. It was more like a fire <laughs> uh, or a firework. Yeah. Uh, and um, eventually, all things go out. And you know, I have no idea where the flare or the firework uh, went. Uh, but I'm very happy about uh, having been exposed to it. Yeah, it's I, I uh, been very, a big part of my life, and it still is, and it probably all, always will be. Yeah. Uh, and I'm um, certainly doing my best to to uh, do um, what I can do, not exactly in the same current, because it's my current. Right, well, that's uh, great. But, that's great. I mean, that, yeah. That's, that's... yeah, but just carrying a, a huge chunk of... of um, the current that we shared into the cauldron, so to speak. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, it's so important. And I, I'm thinking, as you were talking about that, you mentioned Masonic structures and I was thinking about, you know, even like the golden dawn, like, okay, in theory, they have this structure with knowledge lectures and things like that. But Crowley, when he goes into the golden dawn, like he gloms on to Mathers and is basically like emulating Mathers and then he gets more further transmission from Alan Bennett and so it's kind of like and I've had this experience too where it's kind of like the quote-unquote magical society is more or less just a sandbox in which you may meet people to have that type of relationship yes. with and it may not be formal yes, exactly. at all yeah even within no, exactly a it's like, like little play, playgrounds that attract different kinds of kids yeah um yeah but I think you know at a certain point I, I and I love what, what you you know, you're, you're nonstop productive, Carl. It's, it's, it's intimidating and, and it's inspiring. <laughs> uh, it's great. Um, and, um, I, I know that Jen 
particularly as we went through the psychic Bible was, was so clear on the importance of books. And I think now I want to underline that even more. Like now, as we go into, just as I'm thinking about it as, as social media has further destroyed people's ability. It's like the internet, even in the nine, even in the two thousands, as it was being commodified, there were still like web pages that would stay there. Now it's just whatever the fuck this, you know, social media thing is, right? So, um, and now and now we're going to enter this period of AI where you won't even be able to trust whether something was even written by a human or not. <laughs> so the importance yeah. of, of books, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like, look, I mean, there could be, you're talking about flares, but like, you know, hey, maybe there was like an EMP someday, all the, com- all the computers go out. Or people like that movie Idiocracy just become too dumb to use them, which is <laughs> That's more a likely. Very prophet, prophetic but, movie. But books will still be there, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I see it exactly like that, and and I think that uh, on some slightly more gloomy days, I think that uh, I feel that I'm working for um, uh, posterity, not necessarily my own, but just the fact that certain uh, portions of formulations stay on for later generations. Um, and then you could say that, well, you know, aren't we all actually, um, insignificant in the end? Maybe so, but, uh, if it gives me meaning to work with these things, then I'll, I'll do it. And then whether it can be useful in the future, I could never tell anyway. You know, it's like, I, I, why bother speculating about right. that? I just write what I write. No, and, it is important. The, it's critical. I mean, I, I, think I so. feel the same way. It's so critical. And I think it work like um, uh, the work you're doing, the work hopefully I'm doing, the work like the, definitely the work that Jen was doing and bringing all this stuff together. It's like, that's yeah. the Western, like, this is the Western esoteric tradition. It's oh, like yeah. archiving it, making clear the, you know, making clear everything that's happened that people need to remember. I mean, now I meet like young people that I'm teaching or they come work for me. And like, it's like, they don't know any of this. They don't, it's like, they're completely oblivious to like, even, um, us history, let's say from the nineties or the history of, a um, um, you know, protest movements or like anything that, uh, uh, is outside of what the school system wants them to know, which is not a whole lot. And so like this stuff has a, like, you know, things that you and I take for granted, like for instance, Anton LaVey, like mm-hmm. you, you, it's like everyone knows who Anton LaVey is. Like everyone knows who Genesis Peorage is. Well, maybe not. I mean, it's like these things can vanish like fairly quickly and, yeah. and it needs to be preserved. So yeah. 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 Anyways, that was my little rant for today, but, uh, it, it's, it's, it's critical, but yeah, the, 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 That was kind of what, yeah, the black hole, white hole thing was kind of what, what, uh, came up for me when I was reading your book where it's like, mm. uh, it's like constant creation, but it's, it's constant creation, but make no mistake. It's like, if you're in Jen's world, you're in Jen's world on Jen's terms, Jen is what's happening. Other things are not happening. It's like Jen is, <laughs> Jen is what, whatever's happening with Jen. That's what, 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 that's what is happening. So I think at a certain point. Um, which I think Jen expected and hoped for as well. I, I would hope, um, you know, the apprentice has to find their own footing and and find their own current, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be quiet now. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just leave the space yeah. open for for uh, what's coming up for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's, I mean, this is just uh, it's a huge topic. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, one of the things that we uh, talked about a lot, specifically during those, uh, you know, active topo days, was like you know some um, let's call them uh, metaphysical topics, like you know, like what is time and uh, looking at time. And Jen was kind of obsessed with that, hmm. trying to define time or warp time or bend time, uh, time mirrors uh, when analyzing sparse art, and you know. Um, it's really, really great stuff. And I think that also um, rubbed off on me. It's not that I'm obsessed with time in a way, but we certainly applied uh, long-term uh, um, arcs of uh, creative endeavors. Like first, uh, I met Jen in 86. That was basically in my function as a curious little topi guy, but mainly for my my rock and roll fanzine called Lollipop, do an interview. Uh, so that was more like a fanboy thing. Uh, and then in 88, you know, that was more topi-oriented interview. And then it just sort of rolled on. And then we decided that, well, we have this series of interviews. It's very interesting because time time has passed. Right, so you have a perspective. A lot of things have changed, um, and then what if we actually serialize and plan for going to different places uh, on the planet and make interviews there, so that that seeps in to the um, ambiance, atmosphere, conversation, uh, topics, etc. Uh, and that's basically what we did, because uh, we did, you know. Um, in Nepal and in Paris, uh, in New York several times, and in London, in Stockholm, uh, and I think some other places too. Yeah, Norway. Uh, anyway, so that was the idea. Like, let's just build a book. Not let's not just do an interview and talk about you know the new record or or something magical. Let's do the have these conversations as specific chapters of a book that will one day be published uh, and then uh, so that's what happened and and that was made it easy for me also who sort of ran the show in a way to see as an editor perhaps there was a subject missing perhaps there was some topic that we hadn't touched upon that was relevant you know uh, and so we could sort of guide the vessel in a way and uh, eventually when the leukemia became too pronounced, uh, we decided that, you know, okay, let's, let's uh, wrap this up now. And that was sort of parallel to Jen being whipped in a way <laughs> to wrapping up uh, mm. non-binary, you know, so it was like kind of a par parallel process for Jen about going through um, uh, memories and going through his life, basically. But anyway, I am so happy and i see it as a great magical working both on jen's part and on my part that we actually got it to be published and i got copies by some dhl or whatever in time for jen's 70th birthday okay. and that's what we had decided you know so jen got copies of sacred intent uh, for the birthday <laughs> and then unfortunately a couple of weeks later it was over mm. but at least that was a, a happy time uh, to be able to look in a nice book yeah, that really, and, and I bet. read all these things that we talked about since 1986. You know, and and it's uh, such a cool that's book. Something you can't decide to do today. You know, 
<laughs> we can't go back like 40 years and, and make those conversations. So having that long-term uh, uh, perspective on work, I think can be very interesting if you have this kind of good relationship with someone. It doesn't need to be a magician. It could be like with an artist, whatever. Um, but, but that was something that um, our talks about time manifested in this kind of long-term approach. And it was so funny also. Um, I think the album that we talked about uh, last time, Loyalty Does Not End With Death, um, that was our third uh, spoken word collaboration. And as it turned out... Yeah, I love made... those, by the way. Just P.S. Yeah, just on, a, on my own you. fanboy note. Those are awesome. <laughs> but that that's so funny because this is, you know, the first one came out in fucking 1990. Those are the some of my favorite to... gen recordings, actually. Oh, mine Because it's just like... <laughs> but I'm partial. <laughs> well, absolutely. But it's, it's like yeah. gen, gen Unleashed, really, without the, the pressure of having to conform something into a, a, a pop yeah, song or something exactly. like that. Yeah. But then in the second one, Wordship, came out in 2004. Yeah, that one's, and then that the one's fucking awesome. I love that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> but it, and then the third one, you know, we, we did in 2017, 18, and it came out in 19. But it's still another 14 years. So we have these 14-year cycles between these three is, uh, is, albums. Not to interrupt, but is Wordship the one with the... I think there, I think it's that one where there's a, a song where Jen is uh, uh, like looking around and saying, like, tasty souls. Like talking about wanting to eat souls, or was that a different? Uh, no, record? that that that's okay. Not that's a the different one. record. I'm I know what you mean, them. but that's yeah. that's uh, something else. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wordship. Is... Uh, but so Jen, anyway, Jen so, gave so... me one of the early demos of Wordship. I think actually. Anyway, right. sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, 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 don't worry. But it's just just uh, interesting because uh, when you have that kind of uh, special relationship that you. I was never concerned that it's, oh, it's going to be over, it's going to end, whatever. You just let it flow. And of course, there were periods of radio silence, not because of animosity or emotional aspects, simply because we were busy with other things, you know, life interferes, you know. But we always returned to something that uh, was a creative project so that we could communicate on top of that, but we still had that fundament. Um, and of course, there were other things... Um, the documentary film later on and and early on it was just like um yeah there was always something going on and and uh, not rushing with these things but just letting things take their time basically yeah i think that's uh, a key wisdom uh you shouldn't be too much of a push and puller you should just let things bloom i mean it sounds like a cliche but but it has worked well for me and i think it did for jen also Good. even with a strong work ethic um uh, it, there was never this kind of push and pull thing where you felt that Jen wanted to rush things. Mm. Uh, it's better to to um, let the water find its own level and just uh, move along. You know, be efficient. Maybe there's a, a, a do a Burroughs do easy thing there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that said, the, the, there were many things coming from those guys. Um, that were integrated, uh, I think very much so. Um, in in lifestyle, for good and bad, uh, yeah. but also in how you approach creativity. I mean, of course, the cut-up being the central uh, spine of it. And that's yeah. the thing also, how, how a theoretical approach, of course, they, they were practical too, but it's basically a kind of highbrow theoretical approach. But Jen came up with this thing, you can apply it on fucking yeah. anything. Jen, Jen operationalized it. 
Jen put yes, it into practice. Yes. It wouldn't have been into pra- it wouldn't it would not have been put into practice not just in the same way, but basically probably would not have been put into practice at all if Jen had not done it and then combined it with Spare and all these other influences. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Uh, you use the German word that I'm not going to mangle by trying to, of a total artwork. Um, mm. uh, I'll let you uh, say the word. Gesamtkunstwerk. Yeah, I would not have done that nearly as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it's, it's such a... Uh, a, a great concept. Was, German has so many awesome words for things that uh, are, are good to refer to. Um, yeah. They always look good italicized. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, Burroughs, Jen always had the, the, the view. It's like, I am carrying on Burroughs and Geisen's work. And Jen, of course, um, thought Geisen was more interesting than Burroughs, like lo- loved them both, but thought Geisen was, was more interesting. And I worked on that. Um, I actually copy edited when I was at Disinfo that book, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that Geisen bio yeah, by yeah. John Geiger, oh, yeah. which is awesome. And his novel, the process is awesome. And it's amazing. More people don't know it. Geisen is still a completely occult figure unless mm-hmm. you're kind of in this world pretty deep and i don't even mean the occult world i mean like what like kind of within this orbit of ideas uh he and he is such a like this guy was from a different universe it's like you look at some of his paintings and it's like this is just from a different universe it's almost like you 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 take in geisen and his way of living and his art and his approach to magic and life and it's it's almost like you feel like you shouldn't be seeing him because he's a renegade from some other universe that shouldn't be here it's like, mm-hmm. no, this breaks the rules. This guy should not be here. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think uh, um, a word that comes up or an adjective is elusive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, someone who did his thing, he was also, you know, a, a disgruntled bitch in a way. Yeah. He had many, many yeah, enemies also. Uh, for, I, I wonder you know, how so- much of that Jen picked up from Geisen. Uh, possibly, but then again, I don't think necessarily the specifically negative things or the the fallout. I think maybe but there just was that, emulation, that kind of emulation, emulation in yeah. attitude. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Yeah. And, yeah, and that could probably lead to negative uh, fallback uh, results. But anyway, yeah, absolutely uh, amazing. And that was one of the things that Jen was super, super happy about uh, the book. You know, his name was Master uh, because yeah, those that's interviews, awesome. yeah, yeah they, they were, uh, you know, uh, primitive and poor quality. And, and I have to say, uh, Andrew McKenzie did a great job, uh, you know, transcribing and editing that together. And that book is actually coming out in a... And an expanded edition. Oh, excellent! Okay, quite soon. It has a piece by. Uh, I wrote another ch- chapter or uh, outro about specifically the the Anthony Balch films, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, Kathleen Gray wrote about. She was actually the one uh, putting Jan and Geisen together initially, and then also B Paul Paul Hampshire, uh, who went with Jan to see Geisen. He he also has a little story there. Uh, so that will be a good expanded edition. That's and awesome. I think that will be out in March. That's awesome. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? I'm just thinking as you're saying this, it's like the the the, the occult is always occult. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I kind of, as I went through learning magic, it's like there's 
lowercase m magicians and then there's capital M magicians. And when you meet a capital M magician, you know it because they set reality around like they're a tr- they're like a a black hole. You know, it's like they're it's and and or they're just on such a transcendent level. It's like as you get into this, you get like okay, like sigils, Crowley, pentagram rituals, and then you come across somebody like Brian Geisen, and it's like what the fuck is this? Like this is truly otherworldly is the best word I have yeah, for it. Yeah, and, and I like the word actually transcendental. You know, it takes you to a different mind frame, mind space, it's simply to be in the vicinity. Yeah. That's magical. But guys, it's like, you know, like it's, it's, it, I don't know if I would, would have said previously it frustrates me about the occult world, but I really have no attachment at all to the occult world or a culture at this point. Uh, Cause it is, I see it sometimes uh, like the kind of museum of magic, like, like, like Jen put mm-hmm. where, um, it's like people, you know, you get on like, like Thelemic Facebook groups or something like that. And they're still arguing over like Crowley paperwork from the eighties or something, or oh, people yeah. are just talking yeah. about like the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. And it's like, uh, and it's like n- still like, it, like you don't uh, like no one has come across Brian Geisen. It's like the the magicians that are true magicians and truly occult. It seems in a way that they will always be occult, and it's like you can publish publicize them as much as you want, but it's like it's invisible to people, frustratingly yeah. or maybe for no, the I better. Mean, abso- absolutely, that that that's the problem is when when most of these people are kind of uh, ah cultured, they don't really have culture. You know, I remember yeah. one of the things where I dropped out of one of those, uh, I'm not going to say which one, but it's a major like uh, thalamic group on Facebook. And I posted, I think it was when my documentary about uh, Kenneth Anger was was done. And I posted a link to it uh, and it was moderated. And the moderator, moderator uh, asked me, relevance? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah i yeah i just left you know i i can't yeah. i can't i made a film by kenneth anger you know relevance well it's pretty it's, relevant it's pretty fucking relevant uh that is uh that's scary i mean it's like it's it's yeah. amazing how fast particularly as the school system gets increasing the school systems get increasingly focused yeah. on on producing drones for a digitized world like all this stuff can be lost it's, it's so critical to preserve it because uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's like you you even like interact with supposed thelemites and they don't even know like basic stuff yeah yeah so horrendous very much so mm-hmm. but i think that um uh in Thanks all very much. Thanks uh, to you as to you uh, and other people and and uh, what I did with the psychic Bible as well. I don't think that will be the case with Jen. And I think that interestingly enough, uh, Jen seems more relevant now. Uh, like I feel like the the kids coming up now are almost like a pandrogynous generation in a way. It's like they're like totally in line with what seemed like totally occult ideas in 2002 are now in the news every you know like Mm -hmm. yeah no it's fantastic but it's it's also the it also like almost like a worn out cliche in a way where where you refer to jen as a a cultural engineer but it is very true there are so many things and concepts that jen just went on and on and on and on about and it stuck and it became something it became like a golemic movement in a way uh, whether it's like modern primitivism or or industrial culture or 
uh, acid house, whatever, so many things, and then pandrogyny, of course. Um, and there's a lot of things that can be said for uh, appropriation and misappropriation of these things, but it's nothing that we can control. Because once the cat is out of the bag, you know, it, it will just be meowing forever. Uh, and I think that um, one of the key things that uh, young people uh, won't think about, uh, that's my experience anyway, is the fact that it, it's not so much based in, you know, um, the gender, uh, the mere, merely the gender aspect of it. It was originally a very alchemical idea to create yeah. the third, you know, yeah. to create the uh, pandrogyne. And it's not so much about, you know, um, I want to, I don't want to be male. I don't want to be female. I want to be both. I want to be, you know, this thing where it's like stripped into an identity core. It was a magical uh, experiment. Uh, and that was one of the original, again, impeti or, or uh, instigations for the project. And that became a problem after Jackie died. And then it became, I think, Jen theorizing about these things uh, when there was no, uh, no one to ping pong with. Even physically or in conversation. How, how do you mean it uh, became or, a problem? Uh, well, I think that the experiment as such uh, stopped because Jen was on uh, as a singular half of a pandrogyne in a way. Uh, but I don't think the project would ever have ended. The pandrogyne as such would be constantly developing if Jackie had stayed uh, alive, you know. Mm. So it's like one half was was cut away, yeah. Uh, and and I think that that's sort of usually left out of the interpretation of a younger generation who knows Jan's name and the Pandrogyny experiment, and they take that as their own, um, but thinking of it merely from the point of view of gender aspects and and, and I, perhaps and identification with the body rather than trying to see it as yeah. jay called it a cheap yeah, or suitcase see, see the modifications and the thing being tied into a magical process of refinement and transcendental uh, aspects instead of when i see a lot of it uh, i see um lifestyle attributes okay. unfortunately that's what happens after a while also it's like with punk you know punk becomes sure. modified uh, and it's all about hair color and and you know making mommy and daddy angry for a bit uh, but uh, well, that said, I, it was I, think, I think the core idea of breaking sex, I mean, I feel like that's a, that's an idea that like that whole generation can get on board with of, of mm -hmm. throwing out gender. Mm. You know, that was r fucking radical when Jen proposed it to the point that even oh, yeah. like, you know, industrial edgelords were freaked out. Uh, and now that is largely a generational ethos almost, I would yeah. say, which yeah. is amazing yeah. how fast that happened. Yeah, no, it's incredible. But that I have to, I think that has to do with exposure. And there, technology can be a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. ideas take hold faster because of exposure. I want to ask Whereas, you some. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just thinking that in, in the olden days, uh, Jen understood this exactly in the same way. And then it was um, person to person interviews. Jen did thousands of interviews, mm -hmm. and that's how all these ideas got stuck. It wasn't specifically through the records or or record reviews. It was in person to person, face to face conversations that were published. What What would you say that Jen was most focused on uh, in your in in your final interviews? Um, because from my perspective, like Jen's big themes towards the end of her life were. 
um, having things documented in books. And the other was trying to build an intentional community of some form and bring that idea back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm kind of curious where, where your conversations went with her. Yeah, I think those those things were there, and I think uh, also uh, when um, we tied in with um, loyalty doesn't end with death, uh, that was let us again working on something creative. I mean, the book was very creative, and the documentary was creative, but but that was like an old school kind of thing, and and it made us I think revisit uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, the topi spirit in a way or topi psychology and and talking about whether you know um was it meaningful what did it mean uh, things like that and there are also you know other conversations that weren't taped but but i mean that's something i remember and that was important for me um as i think at that phase in my life i was going through a lot of old stuff Hence, I did the Lave project. Hence, I did the Anger project, and hence, I did the the Gen projects. It was just like uh, going through this this um, beautiful suitcase in a way. Uh, but that that was one of the key things that I think uh, interested us both: was mm. evaluating the project, the concept, the experiment of Topi. And then we are uh, referring to what we call Topi Phase One, and that's those those first ten years, eighty one to ninety one, approximately. Um, with a bit of aftermath uh, that uh, sort of ended jointly for me and Jen and Tom, Tom Banger, who did mm. the ran the American operation. Um, so we could just, in hindsight, say that well, time time was up. Time must have been up because mm. there was such a sink. Things were going on, and we were all exhausted from you know boring administration work and stuff like that. However, we could look at it with pleasure and contentment, you know, saying this was very interesting, an interesting phase one. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to to sort of laugh about sardonically. It's just very, very interesting and very radical. And yes. what was produced, uh, you know, what was uh, gelled is something that uh, the key people and many others have taken on into culture. So it's like the instigations were right there in this little you know a quasi cult in a way and then through the process of acculturation established ideas that were far out then that are not so far out now because of that it's amazing so, isn't it yeah so Incredible. so i think um that was something and then of course you know uh, memento mori in a way the the could notice that uh, Jen actually got physically weaker and 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 sicker in a way um, that brought about those very emotional questions. That's in the end of the book, you know. Uh, Jen asking me, "What would you, you know, uh, what's the world going to be like for you without me, or something mm. like that?" To that effect. Yeah, that was a poignant one, question to read in 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 your book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I thought that you know. Um, uh, I think I write about in the text in the source magic also. I said that, you know, just carry on, you know, carry on like you carried on, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. But in the text where I write about that, I write that that's what in psychoanalysis or psychology is called a rationalization. It means that when you can't deal with things really emotionally, you come up with a good, clear, rational answer. Yes. <laughs> so I know it of well. course it was super sad, but at the same time, I do believe I answered uh, straight faced and honestly. 
in that sense that yeah that's that's what i can i that's how i see the world without jen i'll just carry on this kind of particular work i feel the same well it feels like we probably covered what needed to be covered we covered a lot absolutely yeah. and i think it was very good and i'm so yes. in favor of this idea doing a gen talk and then save save the rest for for uh soon yeah uh thank you for um having having this conversation it was very um uh i think important and uh healing yeah. healing for and the me. thing is that that the, you and i can talk about these things and and share experiences and, and see what's the same and what's different etc and it's highly highly you know interesting and rewarding however it will be even more so for those who listen absolutely because they don't know sort of our details of the story so it's interesting it needs I think to be, it'll be a very good show it needs to be preserved I, the, yeah. the last thing I wanted to ask you is, do you what do you make of Jen dying right before the world completely went to hell? Like literally like March 2020? Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, on point. <laughs> you know? And the thing is, it was such a weird, weird, weird uh, time because uh, me and Vanessa, we were just about to come over. You know, because mm -hmm. we had booked Mast, you know, the Mast bookstore in New York uh, with Jan on March 19th. We we're going to have a book launch for uh, for Sacred Intent. I had sent books over to them also. And then, you know, there was these more and more reports coming in about COVID and, you know, and then we yeah. said, hey, Jan, maybe we should postpone this a little bit because we don't want Jan to be out and catch the yeah. virus, you know, being so frail. And Jan said, well, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Um, and then it didn't matter because the day after we talked about that, possibly making that decision, then uh, the U.S. said, no, this is mm. an isolation. No one can come in. We're, we're banning flights and stuff like that. So that was a done deal. A feta complete. There was nothing we could do. But it was kind of interesting that we had already sort of canceled the thing, uh, which turned out to be prophetic in a way, mm. because that was a cancellation of that, you know, that's it. And the overarching yeah. external things was like a global pandemic. And of course, um, I don't know exactly what, you know, what Jan died from. Everyone dies, of course, from the heart stopping. But maybe Jan actually had contracted uh, some COVID thing that yeah, just I was made things ask worse. You know, and, and, and uh, but it's kind of, it's a moot point. But mm. the thing is that that uh, the sink is very, um, I think it's relevant. We can only speculate. But I think it's just like... Uh, also, again, going out with fireworks in a way. Bye-bye. Yeah. Good luck. As, yeah. I, as we're talking about this, I'm remembering, didn't, when, when Topi ended and did change priorities ahead, didn't, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, then Topi put out the green book or something like that. And one of, one of Jen's last communications to Topi phase one was, I leave you in a fine mess. <laughs> Is, am, I, am I remembering this correctly? Uh, I, I'm not I, I sure. I don't know. I have to check that. But but it's uh, you know it's it's uh, certainly a fine mess that seems to be maybe working out now we'll see Whoa. but anyway uh, it was very very lovely chaotic times you know incredibly and of course incredibly sad because we knew it was coming but you know when it hits you it hits you hard yeah well thank you for this uh, opportunity to to talk about it this is a great conversation and yeah looking forward you, to our next conversation uh hopefully very very shortly i will send you another uh calendar and um okay thank you very much Jason. thank you carl see you soon bye bye
All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.